Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn with me to Mark chapter 14? Uh, I know we read in John, and um, that's because we kind of got the end of the story first. We're going to go back to the beginning uh, of the account here in Mark chapter 14 uh, this morning. It's commonly considered by theologians that while the follower of Jesus, John Mark, uh, he penned the Gospel of Mark, in many ways, this book is, for all practical purposes, um, the Gospel of Peter, um, because what John Mark did not witness himself in the record and life of Jesus Christ, God had Peter communicate to him to uh, write down. Peter's an interesting character in God's Word, isn't he? Um, I think he might be my favorite in the New Testament. Moses is my favorite in the Old. I love Paul. Um, But I like Peter in the New Testament because, and I wish this wasn't my testimony, I seem to relate more to Peter at times. Um, Peter was an emotional, impetuous fella. When Christ first called Peter to follow him, Jesus gave him a new name. He wouldn't be called Simon anymore, but Peter, a rock, is what it meant. And I'm sure that excited Peter Um, that that Jesus saw not just who he was, a man who was sometimes driven here and there uh, by emotions, but but instead, Jesus also saw someone who would one day be a foundational and essential leader in the church of Jesus Christ. This morning, though, uh, in Mark 14, 27, we have the record of Jesus predicting Peter's denial of Christ and and of the other disciples deserting Jesus during the most difficult time that Christ would experience as well. So not a rock-like moment in Peter's life, but there's still much we can learn about God and his grace to us as we study this passage together this morning. So let's read um, verses 27 to 31, Mark 14, beginning verse 27, and Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we study your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would give me the exact words to say, to teach what you want taught here, and that your Holy Spirit would uh, be, be present and active in the hearts of everyone here who's been born again. If there's one here or one watching 
that, that has entrusted you as Savior. Lord, I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would call them to repentant faith and that they would be, become a follower of Jesus this morning. For us who have, it's a lot of grace in this passage. It's what we need to live, just as um, the ladies sung and, and taught us in, in uh, sign language. God, we need your grace, and I, I pray that um, through your word this morning, we would walk out of here full of it, so full that we're able to dispense it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 27, Jesus gives them a, a prophetic reckoning. Uh, it's about the shepherd struck and the sheep scattered. God has marked place this conversation between Jesus and his disciples right after the Last Supper meal and just prior to the prayer of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verse 27, Jesus teaches his disciples that all of them, all of them, will be offended because of him that very night. And the Greek word for offended is skandalizo, uh, it means to stumble. They would all stumble. It means to fall away. They would all do that. It, it has a definite negative connotation. It, it's where we get our English word uh, for scandal. And we find out later that Jesus gives specific details about the disciples and their desertion of Christ. But here in verse 27, Jesus is simply quoting and applying uh, uh, Old Testament prophecy made about this event way back in Zechariah 13, 7. It says there, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And we mentioned in last week's study together that this was all part of God's prepared plan and his purpose in redemption, that Jesus the shepherd, he would be struck, he'd be crucified on the cross for our sins so that by faith in what he did for us there, we could be saved from our sins. And regardless of the fact that Jesus had routinely, I mean, over and over again, told his disciples that this was ahead for him when he was arrested that night, his disciples, his sheep, they were scattered. Verses 43 to 52 describe this scattering, the disciples' desertion of Christ. Let's read them, same chapter, verses 43 to 52. Mark 14, it says, And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him, lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword. And he smote a servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, You come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth, cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. So this, these verses describe this scattering. Only Mark's gospel account includes the somewhat odd details uh, of verses 51 and 52 there at the end. Some theologians, they believe that uh, this man, in, in those last two verses, that it was John Mark, the, the writer of this gospel, the human author, um, the Last Supper, 
possibly taking place at Mark's father's home. And then afterwards, Mark taking off his outer cloak and going to bed while Jesus and the 12 disciples went out. Maybe someone informed Mark of uh, Judas's betrayal of Christ and this armed posse coming to arrest Jesus. And if so, it's possible that Mark left in haste, that he tried to go and warn Jesus and the other disciples wearing only his PJs, uh, as we read there in verses 51 and 52. But those verses, I mean, it's really just talking about one man there, maybe Mark, but really descriptive uh, of the emotional state, uh, the terror that fell on all of the disciples, the sheep scattered at Christ's arrest. Verse 50 there, it's so short, but it it sums it all up concisely. They all forsook him, all of them, and they fled. The shepherd was struck, and the sheep were scattered. Jesus knew this would happen. God's word had prophesied centuries before there in Zechariah that it would. But back here in verses 27 and 28, Jesus had given them a prophetic reckoning, a warning that they would be tempted to be offended by him, to scandalously desert their Savior when the going got tough. And thousands of years later, we sit here this morning and we look back on this event And we may be tempted ourselves to do what the disciples did here, to desert Christ or to deny Christ. I hope most of us would say, I would never. I'm glad that is our sense, but we have to realize that's what they said too in this passage. And while we may never literally flee from Jesus like they did here, do we at times desert him? or deny him when we yield to a temptation to sin and choose that over him, or when we disregard uh, an opportunity to witness for him or to stand for him. Let's jump down to verses 29 to 31, and we see their prideful response. We'll come back to verse 28 in just a minute. Peter, who so often is a spokesman for this group of disciples, um, the emotional, sometimes undisciplined rock, he cannot just let the words of Christ go unresponded to. He says in verse 29 to Jesus, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Peter says, well, you might be right, Jesus. These boys here, they might do that to you, but not good old Peter. Peter wouldn't do that. And Peter and the disciples in general, their response was ignorant. It's a prideful response. It's ignorant. Jesus answers Peter's protest by up in the ante in verse 30, using the strongest confirmation in that language. uh, Sometimes it loses its power here in in our current usage of the English. We just read it through quickly. Verily I say unto thee, this is like Jesus is saying, Peter, there's no doubt, 100%, this is a fact, it's going to happen. And he says that this day, even this night, not only are you going to desert me, not only are you going to all be offended in me, But Peter, you're going to actually deny me. And not just once, Peter. You're going to do it three times before this night's over in quintessential Peter fashion. Verse 31, it records Peter protesting more vehemently. The only time that that word is used in all of God's word. Peter says, no, never. Even if it means dying with you, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. And the end of verse 31 tells us that the rest of the disciples also joined Peter as he proclaimed that. Uh, 
all of them, all of them, pro, uh, professing that their loyalty to Jesus Christ, even though uh, in mere hours their words and their works would, would contradict this statement. It's an ignorant statement because Jesus had just informed Peter that this would be the case. <laughs> it's an ignorant statement. Because Jesus had just quoted an Old Testament prophecy written centuries before. One they should have known well and realized that applied to them. It, it was just moments earlier. I know it was last Sunday for us. But it was moments earlier here at the Last Supper back in verse 19 of this chapter. That when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. They were all saying, is it I? Is it I? But now they're going to supposedly follow him to the death. No, this is a prideful, ignorant response because the disciples of Jesus then and now, you and us, we must never forget who we were, that we still, until we get to heaven, that we still have an old nature, that we as a new creation in Jesus Christ, we must battle. And God's word to us in Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our heart is deceitful <laughs> above all things. That it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And how often we forget that our hearts, apart from Christ, and apart from God's grace to us in Christ, uh, is deceitful. And it's desperately wicked. And we would do well. We would be better prepared to meet this temptation, to ever deny or desert Christ in our own words or deeds if we would fight the prideful ignorance of self-sufficiency with the truth of Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, like we see here, before a fall. David Brainerd, great missionary to Native American peoples during the colonial period of our nation, he wrote this once more. Never think that you can live to God by your own power or strength, but always look to and rely on him for assistance, yea, for all strength and grace. It wasn't just ignorant. It was an impetuous response. Jesus had clearly laid out to these disciples repeatedly what lay ahead for him. He would be arrested. He would be unjustly tried, and he would be crucified. That was his mission here on earth. It was just back in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, that Peter had made another impetuous comment. I mean, right after Jesus had asked him who that he and the other disciples thought Jesus was, and Peter confidently declared, well, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the promised Messiah. You're the Christ. But it's there that we hear of Peter protesting against Christ's upcoming sacrifice on the cross. Do you remember? Peter took Jesus aside to rebuke him. Not, not a good move for a follower of Jesus to do, right? Peter declares that, yes, he and the disciples, we believe that you are the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus says, you are right. And then he begins to teach them about his upcoming death. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and he goes, hey, that's not how this whole Messiah thing works, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to the impetuous Peter there? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't mind the things of God you're mindful of the things of man. And that same prideful, impetuous nature is seen right here in verses 29 to 31. God's word in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, 1 Peter would later write. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to not be pridefully impetuous, but we're to be sober. We're to be vigilant because 
Our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, just waiting to devour us. we got to be always on guard. That's what Jesus was telling them. They didn't get it. In Luke chapter 14, verses 27 to 32, Jesus himself warned those who are his followers against being pridefully ignorant or impetuous regarding the cost of following him, regarding the cost of being a Christian. He instructs them that, that no man who intends to build a tower does so without first budgeting and figuring out how it's going to be financed, without counting the cost. Nobody goes to war. Nobody heads out to confront the enemy without first planning and evaluating the requirements that will be required to win that war, to win that battle. And Christ closes that passage by urging us, you and I, his followers now, to count the cost of following him because it's very high. It's going to cost you everything. You have to forsake all to follow him. Following Jesus promises tribulation. It promises threat like they're seeing here. Prideful ignorance or an unrestrained, impetuous nature in our lives is all but a guarantee that desertion and even denying Christ will be a frequent reality in our lives. Let's read verses 66 to 72, Mark 14. This is actual account of Peter's denial. Mark 14, 66, and it says, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he had thought thereon, he wept. Let's go back to verse 28 now. I like things that end with a happy note. So let's go there. <laughs> verse 28 does. It's small. Mark 14, 28. Jesus says, but after that, I am risen. I will go before you into Galilee. There's a promised restoration here. Even in verse 28, uh, we see the grace-giving Christ. Uh, even in the promise made in verses 27 to 31 that the disciples would, they would desert and deny him, there's this tiny little glimpse of the grace-giving Christ there in verse 28. Do you see it? Jesus says, but after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Jesus is saying to them, right in the middle of this prediction of their scandalous falling away, when this is all over, guys, I will be there before you. I'll be there waiting for you. You will desert me. You will deny me. But we will be back together again. The little verse, important verse. What a blessing to know the grace-giving Christ, amen? What a blessing. That those who are his, even if they are involved in scandal, even if they fall away, even if they deny him or desert him, if they are truly his, if they have been truly born again, 
That falling away won't be permanent. It will not be forever. Psalm 37, 23 to 24 promises this fact for the Christian. The steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord, and the Lord delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? Because he can get back up on his own and pull himself up by the bootstraps? No, because the Lord upholds him with his hand. I asked the guys to put a slide up on the media team there. It's from Luke, and you can turn there if you want, but it'll be up here. Luke 22, 31 to 32. This is the same account that we've looked at here in Mark, uh, but it's, it's Luke's account of Peter's denial um, and, and restoration in this verse as well. I don't know why Mark doesn't include Peter's restoration, especially if it was at least partly written by Mark, but look at what it says there. It says, uh, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So that's describing the temptation to deny Christ that Peter would face. It's actually um, in the King James, you can see, you can't see it as much in the New King James, but when it says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that you there is plural, it's a y'all. So Jesus is talking about all of the disciples there. He's asked for you all that he may sift you all as wheat. That's a description of what they would face that night when they were tempted to be offended uh, in him. It's a winnowing. Isn't that what temptation sometimes feels like in our lives when we're tempted not to trust Christ? We're going through a difficult time. Maybe we've been tempted with sin and we fell. It feels like a winnowing. It's being sifted as wheat. But, but then notice the prayer of Jesus Christ for us. He says, but I have prayed for you. And that's true for you too, Christian. Hebrews 7 tells us that. Right now he's up in heaven and he ever lives to make intercession for us. But I have prayed for you, Jesus has, that your faith should not fail. Peter's didn't. His faith did not fail. His fall wasn't forever. And now look at this grace-giving Christ. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see that? When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Can you, uh, guys, could you scroll down to verse 60 and 61? This is kind of a cool thing to do, I think. All right. Uh, so this is the end where Peter denies Christ. This is the third time. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, as he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Next verse. No, not that one. That one we're going to get at the end. But, but if you can get verse 61. Um, it says in verse 61, look at that there. The Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's what Jesus does. And that's what he's doing right now. I mean, even this morning. And holding his grace out to us. In our fall. In our desertion of Christ. In our denials of Christ. The grace-giving Christ is looking at us even this morning. Dr. Jerry Vines said regarding this passage and about this call to repentance that's described here, this offer of grace in Christ's gaze toward Peter, it wouldn't have mattered much if Peter wasn't looking at Jesus at that moment. Do you understand? 
and he's looking at you. He's holding out grace to you this morning. That's his constant position. It's always at the ready. But are you looking at him? Or will you allow guilt and shame to turn your gaze from the grace-giving Christ? Don't be like Adam and Eve. You can't sew fig leaves together. You can't hide. You've got to run to him. <laughs> Repentance and forgiveness of sin, they can only come when you turn your eyes upon the grace-giving Christ. I want to call your attention back to Luke 14, 32. Um, we read that there in a, mo a moment ago, but it's, just, it's so powerful. Jesus says, when you have returned. Isn't that such a beautiful word? When. Not if. <laughs> when you have returned, Peter, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus is saying to Peter there and to us, Peter, show how grace works to them. See, they deserted me too. They did. I'm sure they're feeling like they let me down. Satan is telling them right at this moment, they are the sorriest excuse for a Christian. And they're wallowing in guilt. So Jesus says, Peter, when you go to the grace that, that I give you, when you return, when you return to me in repentance, then strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your sisters in Christ. You turn to my grace. You live in my grace so that they can too. And church, that's a grace-grabbing Christian. That's what every single one of us should live like. The last chapter in John's gospel where we did our scripture reading this morning has a detailed account of Peter doing just this. And Jesus has resurrected, and he reunites with his disciples in Galilee, just like he promised here in Mark 14, 28, I will go before you. We will be back together again. What are they doing? They're fishing. Not for men anymore. They're fishing for fish. After deserting and denying Jesus, they've gone back to life pre-Jesus. They've gone back to a lifestyle before Jesus. Maybe they were ridden with guilt. Maybe they were not feeling worthy of being a disciple of the one they have failed. And Dr. White preached this message better than any I've heard, so I'm not even going to try to do it again. But, but do you remember from our reading earlier what Jesus said to Peter there three times? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Three times. Once for each time that he denied Jesus. And three times Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Christ says to him, well, since you love me, since you have received my grace, show it to them. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. That kind of sounds like when you have returned, strengthen the brethren, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's what a grace-grabbing Christian does. Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down. No. He gets up, and he or she grabs the grace that the grace-giving Christ holds out, and then they give it to others. Have you received his grace? Feed Christ's sheep. Strengthen the brethren with his grace. Jesus promised his followers that there would be a reckoning for them. They, every one of you, you are going to have temptations. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. Things that he allows into your life to test your faith, just like he did theirs. Sometimes we pass in victory. Woo, that feels good. Sometimes these reckonings of our faith show our need for some improvement. We fail, sometimes because of a prideful ignorance, thought we could handle it, 
or impetuousness. We choose sin over him, and in so doing, we desert Christ. We deny Christ, even if it's for a moment. But when, not if, when that happens, because it will, what will you do? What will you do, Christian? Will you turn and look at the grace-giving Christ and get up? Will you grab a hold of the grace that he's holding out to you? If you're here this morning and that describes you or described what you were going through two days ago or what you might go through this week, listen, look at his face. I pray you've seen his face this morning in the songs we've sung and what we've heard and what we've studied. I pray that you've seen his hands held out full of grace. And so my encouragement to you is take it. (laughs) Take it. And then once you have, give it. Pray others see his grace in you, that you have taken it. You know, I think a lot of times you're, (laughs) it's weird. Sometimes we're really bad at giving it. But a lot of times we're okay with giving it to other people. We're just really tough on giving it to ourselves. Blood of Jesus Christ is that powerful. He'll take care of you and he'll do so so that you can give it to others. Point them to his grace. Strengthen the brethren. It's such a King James word. You know what it means? It means your wife. It means your husband. It means your kids. Strengthen the brethren by what you do. But you've got to do it first. By how you respond to God's grace. Receiving his forgiveness. But how you grab a hold of God's grace this morning. I ask Tommy to come and lead us in a song that will ask us to do just that. To turn our eyes upon Jesus Christ.